Welcome to the Art and Science of Joy podcast. This podcast is all about inspiring people to live more joyfully. So if you're seeking a bit more joy in your own life or seeking to bring some more joy to the lives of others, then this podcast could well be for you. And welcome to the Joy Superpower series in which we explore special powers each and every one of us can use to cultivate a more joyful life and help us navigate these turbulent times in which we live. I'm Andrew Cannon and I have the honour to be your host. And in this episode, I'm excited to be talking with Karen Buxman about the joy superpower of humour. Karen is a TEDx speaker, successful author, a neurohumorist, a pioneer in her field. Karen shows leaders and professionals how to expand their influence, strengthen their relationships, and boost their resilience. And we could all do with that. If writing burn calories, Karen would be a size two. She's written for numerous peer-reviewed journals and appeared in many well-known publications such as Forbes and Women's Today. And she's author of eight books. Her upcoming book is Funny Means Money, Strategic Humor for Influence and World Domination. Karen is one of 260 professionals and one of only 55 women in the world to be inducted into the National Speakers Association's Speakers Hall of Fame. Wowing audience with a high content and high energy, Karen is serious about humor. So welcome to the show, Karen. Oh, thank you. I am so pumped and jazzed to be here with you today. It's, it's going to be fantastic and it's going to be fun, right? So you can't talk it's about not. humor without having fun. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So let's start, I mean, looking at your bio, you know, you've had a vast, varied career nursing, journalism, teaching, international speaking. So what inspired you to become a neurohumorist? Yeah, I was teaching, I, teaching nursing, as a matter of fact, at a small university and went back for my master's and had to choose a topic that I would research and write a thesis on and just stumbled across a small paragraph about a nurse researcher who had done her dissertation on the use of humor with Native American Indians. And you know, I, I now don't necessarily believe in coincidences. I think that that was very mm. meant to be. But um, just the fact that somebody had researched humor was a whack upside the head. And I, when I went to my advisors with this idea, as you might imagine, they were kind of like, yeah, <laughs> right. You want to study humor. Way to go. But, you know, eventually um, I wore them down <laughs> and, and my life has just been an amazing roller coaster ride ever since. It's just been fantastic. It's taken me from Burbank to Bangkok. Uh, I've talked to audiences less than 10 and greater than 10,000 and around the world like you. And what I have found is that laughter has no accent. Mm. And that as Victor Borga said, it is the shortest distance between two people. And I don't think there's ever been a time in our world um, where we've needed humor uh, as much as we do now, just with all that is going on around us, personally, professionally, you know, locally, regionally, globally. It's, it's something that we really need to harness. Yeah, I think it is. I was talking to somebody last week who was challenging me on whether, you know, how hard a sale is joy. You know, if we're trying to sell people um, to be how to be more joyful, the recipe for joy, as we call it. And yeah. wouldn't that be easier to sell in good times? And, and I was saying, well, maybe it would be easier to sell, but 
probably the world needs it now more than ever in the same yeah. way we need humor um, now more than ever. So it might be a harder sell, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't be doing it, perhaps. Agreed. Agreed. Excellent. Tell us about NASA. What were you doing <laughs> with them? Oh, my gosh. I had the opportunity to go to NASA and work with rocket scientists. But it, I have to tell you, it was a delight to show rocket scientists that humor is not rocket science. Yeah, and it was wonderful because, you know, while they, you know, many of them are very analytical and of course they have to be very, very precise, but they also um, are creative and visionary. And, and, you know, with humor, not only does it help with the cognitive aspect, it helps with the emotional aspect, the physical aspect. And a lot of them really needed that and need those coping mechanisms and that resilience. And so it was incredibly well received and the stories they shared were just, were so fun. And many of them very personal, you know, not just, not just about work, but even about their, about their family. So it was very rewarding. It's amazing, isn't it? I think that's a big shift in the world that's happened in terms of authenticity that, you know, especially men who used to be, you know, had to button up and you know keep your chin up and project a certain image especially in the scientific world right where, you know being humorous could be seen as a weakness and that's changing at least from a joy perspective but do you see that also in the humor sphere that people are more open now about who they are yeah you know it's it's like where did we come up with the concept that humor was was unprofessional or that it was, you know, you shouldn't be using it at work. And, you know, occasionally, I mean, you do have the person who uses it inappropriately and then they ruin it for everybody else. But I, over the years have developed uh, competencies. I have seven competencies that I go in and I teach people, um, particularly in, in corporate and, and in healthcare settings where they're, where they're so concerned about crossing the line. And it is important that we don't cross the line, especially when you're trying to bring someone up into a state of happiness and joy. Right. But, but, the, but I think what we confuse is seriousness and solemnness. Mm. And they think that, you know, because quick example, Southwest Airlines, because they are such a, 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 an easy example for people to relate to, but their number one job is the same as every other airline's job, safety. That's their number one job. Mm. How do they convey safety? They give important safety messages, but they do it through humor. And because they get people laughing, they get people listening. And I can tell you out of the hundreds, if not, I'm, I'm over 2 million miles just on American alone. And I will tell you that I sadly probably tune out most of their, yeah. you know, safety messages. But when I, I look forward to the safety, I, I know where that air mask is going to drop down and I know where the exits are. And I mean, I, I know my flight attendants. I, those are the kinds of things that can be conveyed right. through the vehicle of humor. No, it's great. I remember I don't often fly on them, but I do remember once when they were leading us through an exercise routine of raising your hands and lowering your hands and raising and lowering. Yeah. They said, well, now you're going down. You might as well pick up the rubbish that you've just dropped down there. There you go. <laughs> Do us all a favor. They said, if you're traveling with a child or someone behaving like a child, put your own oxygen mask on first. And if you're traveling with with you know more than one child, pick your favorite. Right. You know that kind of thing. It's like so. 
<laughs> there you go. So that's a good segue into what makes you laugh, Karen. Obviously, you make yeah. other people laugh, but tell us what's your sort of some of the favorite things that make you laugh. You know, I was thinking about this and, and kind of through my history, because as you mentioned, part of my history is that for over a dozen years, I did hands-on nursing. I worked ER, I worked ICU, I worked OR. And quite frankly, a lot of my humor back then was very dark. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's a reason for that. The closer we are to tragedy and death, the darker our humor becomes comes because it's a it's a release mechanism it's like that little bobble on the top of a pressure cooker you know that it lets off the steam and um, surprisingly I also like slapstick however I like slapstick that um where you know nobody got hurt It's like there is slapstick like you see in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation with Chevy Chase is flying down on a saucer. (laughs) I cannot watch that without laughing every single time. But there's also shows. There's one here. I don't know if you've ever seen it in the U.S. It's called Jackass. And -hmm. it's where people do stupid tricks, um, but they really get hurt. Uh And I cannot watch that because it's just too painful. But I think really overall, my favorite form of humor is stories. And because of that, the person who makes me laugh right now and who I watch again and again and again and again is a comedian. His name is Mike Berbiglia. And for anyone, that's a good name. Oh, I love Mike Berbiglia. And if if anyone has Netflix, um, when I'm coaching high performers on how to, to raise their high performance humor. Mike Berbiglia is somebody I, I give homework assignments to. He has a wonderful special called Thank God for Jokes. Mm-hmm. And it really, the way he weaves in the, the stories and the lessons and all of that together just makes it so memorable and you just feel so connected. That's right. So, we, are, we are connected through stories, aren't we? So Yeah, yeah. Storytelling is, is definitely another joy superpower. So when we talk about humor and how do you see that connected to joy? What's the, the link in your mind between these two words? So I think a lot of times people even use those words interchangeably with humor and joy and happiness. But here's the difference. You, you are not in a state of humor. You know, humor is the vehicle. It is the tool. It is the strategy that will move you up that emotional scale. And joy is, you know, at the top of that emotional scale, that feeling that you want to experience. And, and humor can definitely get you there when you are really in that state of of laughter and, um, and, you know, the, the brain studies that have been done. Uh, Lee Burke up in Loma Linda found that when he was studying the brains of people who were experiencing positive, mirthful laughter, um, that their gamma wave, they had gamma waves, first of all, which Mm -hmm. was a surprise to the scientists, but the gamma wave patterns um, are those that are the same found in deep meditation and mindfulness and bliss and state Mm -hmm. of flow. And so um, to move into that, you know, it can move you up the emotional scale, which I think is 
very, very wonderful. Um, the, the one thing that um, you, know, you mentioned just a little bit ago about, you know, some people think that, that joy might be a hard sell. And, and I, I've interviewed over the past two years uh, during the pandemic, interviewed so many people and particularly in the healthcare profession who were just devastated. They just, their brains were on fire. And it's, it's kind of like the aftermath of a hurricane or a tornado. You know, the, the storm is gone, but these people are, are left right. in the carnage. And, and the words that they were using were, were empty and despair and dead inside. And one of them said to me, um, because they're, the reason they were bringing me in, the theme was, you know, let's bring back the joy of our profession. And she mm-hmm. said, I, I can't even fathom joy right now. And I said, so here's the thing, maybe going from despair to joy in one leap is too much, but you don't have to do it in one leap. We can do it in increments. And sometimes just going from despair to anger is more energy. And then anger to frustration is is more energy. And frustration to hopefulness is more energy. And then from hopefulness to joy, isn't that far of a leap? And so humor can help you move incrementally in that direction. And man, see, I just got goosebumps. It's like when that happens, that's that's the superpower. That's That's when it's happening. Yeah, but I think humor can be one of those that can be a a great stepping stone to that, right? Because it does work at those many different levels. I remember talking to a guest very early on, we were talking about overcoming anxiety. And, you know, when people obviously who suffer from mental challenges um, can find, you know, even getting out of bed in the morning a challenge. And, And so for those people... You know, it's that day when you do get out of bed and you do walk in the park. That's a good day. That's a joyful day. So it's all about right. framing it. And I think humor right. can be a great way that can take you all the way on that journey, really. And you find exactly. your own humor, your own way of laughter that will help those little times to slowly lift you up that scale. Yes, yes. Yeah, and, and one of the things that gets confused many times is because people think, well, I can't use humor. I'm not funny. Mm-hmm. And this was the epiphany that I had over the last couple of years while we were kind of sequestered and I had time to think about these things rather than ponder the lint in my navel. I pondered humor. And I realized that there's, there's three purposes to humor. And one of them is entertainment. And when you are entertaining someone, your goal is to make somebody laugh. And and comedians measure their success in laughs per minute. And that's a wonderful thing. But I recognize that there's two other purposes for humor. One of those being well-being, our health. You know, and, and if you're trying to be healthier, you don't measure your success in how many times you laugh in a minute. You measure your success in the quality of your well-being, the quality of how you feel, um, whether that be physically or emotionally or even spiritually. And then the third purpose being influence. How can we motivate? How can we persuade? How can we educate? How can we uplift others? And when we're using humor for the purpose of influence, again, 
we're not measuring it in laps per minute. We're measuring it in the quantity and quality of relationships. And, you know, it's in those relationships and it's in that higher state of health and resilience that I think it's just one step away, if not just being in that state of joy. That is fantastic. And I love the way that by using that framework, you actually help people distinguish between those things and to understand, okay, well, now I'm trying to be funny and make the kids laugh. So, you know, you are in a different mode of saying, no, this is yeah. about my well-being. This is about me or it's about yeah. connection. It's about, you know, the family right. belonging and it's dad's terrible joke again. We've heard it, you know, a thousand times. Or right. what's the one my kids keep going on about at the moment? It's something about old Bob. I think it's Bob the goldfish who's, um, who's got the memory of a old Bob my name's Bob and I'm a goldfish and I've got the memory of, uh, and my name's Bob. And they just repeat that whole thing and they never get to the end of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just cracks you up after a while, even though you've heard right, it. Right, right. And it just does it because that's that measure. It's just belonging. It doesn't matter if it's funny or not. Right, it's, it's right. right. It's, about the, it's about that connection. And right now I, I'm working on a project for a group and they're, they're, purpose is to help combat loneliness. And I started doing some research on this and, you know, it, it's, it was already an issue for people who get older, you know, as, and they, they lose loved ones. And particularly with the boomers, they didn't have as many children or not, they not necessarily got married. So they don't have that that system. And then you add to that the differences in the culture and the technology, and they don't know how to use it. And then the sequestering, you know, for them, loneliness is, an, is such a huge issue. And then we find out that, that Gen Z is feeling even more lonely, even though they have the technology and they have the ability and all of these other things, they feel so disconnected. And so how do we help combat that loneliness that we're seeing you know, on such a broad spectrum of generations. And, and I think that, you know, to bring them joy, to bring them that connectedness so that they won't feel so alone, I think is, is such an important cause. Oh, it certainly is. Um, I think this, this aspect of loneliness, where I live here in Finland, I think it's 40% of households have only one adult in them. Mm. So a lot of people are spending a lot of time alone. So obviously you can go passive entertainment humor, which is very different. We talked about as opposed to. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I I think that when we talk about understanding the purposes of, of your own well-being and of, of moving to that state of joy, then it takes the pressure off of, Oh, I don't have to be funny. I can leverage humor. And that's, that's my work because a lot of times I'll have people come to me and say, uh, Oh, make me funny. And, you know, I want to be funny spontaneously. And, and one of the first gentlemen I worked with was this high performer, high ticket salesperson um, in another country. And what I stumbled upon the fact was that when he was sending me videos and things of his work was he was already funny. He just didn't even appreciate the fact that he was already funny. And there were people in his audience giving him potential laugh lines, but he wasn't seeing them. And what what we really had to go back and do was to just raise his awareness and appreciation of humor in the first place, because I can give you a funny line, but if you don't recognize humor to begin with, then it's not really going to serve you. 
And so just that, because people will say to me so often, but you don't understand, (laughs) there's nothing funny happening in my life. And if that is your belief, that's your reality. Yeah. But if you will take a moment and be in the presence, be, be mindful and start rewiring your brain because our brains are wired to protect us in the first place. That's the brain's job. But over the past few years, I think more so than ever, we have wired them over and over and over again to look for more threat, more danger. We're looking for, you know, political issues. We're looking for pandemic issues. We're looking for murder hornets. You know, it's like whatever it could be and our brains are on fire. And so we're not witnessing and experiencing the humor and the joy that is around us. And it it takes rewiring your brain and really giving it some intentional and consistent effort, but it can be done. Can be done. I think one of the interesting things we found when we looked on into some of the research on humor, and there was one study in a magazine called Psychological Science, which suggested that, you know, people who had been through serious events over time actually found more humor in that, probably not in the moment, but, you know, Right. I was talking to, again, um, Rachel Coleman, who, you know, basically lost everything in the fires in Colorado and yeah. not a house, fortunately, but, you know, all the possessions and that obviously terrible thing. But one of a bit of distance, you know, she's telling some wonderfully funny stories um, about how things can happen. So even if in the right. moment it feels really hard, often right. times you find that with time, people can find the humor in those difficult events. You know, it's, it's like you are, if you're in the midst of a fire, you know, and your house is on fire, you're not going to find anything funny at that moment about the fire, you know, and, and people who are experiencing, you know, whether, whether it's a tragedy or tornado or a flood or a fire, or finding out that the person you were trying to impress and hoping to get a second date with, you had, you know, a raisin stuck between your teeth it's not going to be funny until you have emotional distance. And, you know, that might take a few minutes. It might take a few months. And, and if it's incredibly painful, you're never going to be able to find the humor in the situation. Mm. However, I do want to point out that if you are in the midst of a crisis, you know, you're, if there are fires around you um, and, and your house is on fire, to leverage humor, you don't have to find something funny about your house burning. There are other ways you can leverage humor. During the pandemic, I came to appreciate four ways that humor could help. And that was to distract, reframe, relate, and refuel. And you know, if you are trapped in a situation where you have no control, um, it's not necessarily a bad thing to distract yourself with some humor rather than ruminate about the fact, oh my God, the sky is falling. The sky is falling. Because as you know, our, our physiology is now working against us. We can't think clearly. Um, We can't, we can't see clearly. We can't hear clearly all of these things that need to help us. So if we can find some humor just to break that cycle, even if it's momentarily, 
you know, pulling up something funny on your, on your phone. I mean, I, for me, I'm a big fan also of David Sedaris. I li- I have his audio books on my phone and I was trapped on a plane. I was missing an important meeting. Um, it was at night. We were on a tarmac. We, there was a storm. We just weren't getting anywhere. And most of the people were, the plane was dark and people are yelling at the flight attendant. And it's like, there's nothing I can do. There is nothing I can do and worrying about this is not going to get me off of that plane and to my destination. So I pulled up David Sedaris and I think that because it was such a relief, like that little valve we talked about, I was probably laughing harder than I might have at another time. But because it was dark in the plane, the flight attendant thought I was sobbing and she was trying to console me, which made it even funnier, you know, and for a few minutes, I was just out of control. But, it, but I felt so much better. So, you know, distractions, not a bad thing. Reframing is one of our highest superpowers that we can do to see something from a different point of view that might help us solve an issue or to feel better. The downside is, it takes a lot of cognitive energy to reframe and our brains are lazy. They don't want to do that. And so it takes real effort. And so people have trained to help themselves how to see, but here's a cool thing. Humor's a hack. Humor's a shortcut because the very essence of humor is pairing unlike ideas. And so to put unlike ideas together is a shortcut to see things from that childlike or that humorous perspective and, and make us feel better. Um, relating is, is another byproduct of this because humor increases likability. Uh, when we're sharing humor with another person, we're secreting oxytocin, which is the, the cuddle hormone. It's making us feel closer to that person. And so relationships can be more numerous and stronger. And then with the refueling, you know, when, you know, just as, as an example, the pandemic, we thought we were in for a sprint and then it became a marathon. And then we realized we were in for an Ironman and we continually pull from our resources, but humor can rebuild those resources and our resilience physically, emotionally, psychologically, socially, and spiritually. So who doesn't want a piece of that? Who doesn't want a piece (laughs) of that? Well, apparently a lot of people in business, as we talked about earlier, didn't want a piece of that because it's business is serious, right? So, but we love this quote by a guy called Andrew Tarvin, which basically said in today's overworked, underappreciated, stress-filled, sleep-deprived, culture humor is a necessity which i presume you agree with i totally agree with and i love andrew Uh, he's a friend of mine and you know it is a necessity people used to think i say that you know it's no longer a nicety it's a necessity because they think oh that's nice but it's not really necessary but i think that in today's world we are facing situations and we can't use the same solutions that we've tried using in the past. The solutions, you know, are not going to get us out of the current situation that we're in. We need to be thinking out of the box. And so to use this to improve create creativity in the workplace, to improve the ability to problem solve in the workplace, to improve engagement, you've got people, you know, hopscotching all over from job to job because they, they can. The job market right now at the time of this recording is wonderful and people can, if they don't like who they're working with, many of them take a job and then they don't even show up for the first day. They just, oh, they found something better between the first interview and the time they were supposed to show up. And so people want to work with other people 
that they know, like, and trust. And the nice thing about humor is that it can do those things. It can help you to know another person better. It can help you increase your likability. You know, that's one of the, for anybody who's familiar with Robert Cialdini's work on influence, you know, likability is huge. And when used well, humor can build trust. I think what gives it a bad rap is that some people don't use it well. And the fact is that humor can be a tool or it can be a weapon. And we do see people who weaponize humor. And when you use humor as a weapon, you're not going to be able to reach a state of joy. You know, it's like, by God, you people are going to use humor and beatings are going to continue until morale improves. You know, that isn't going to work. So um, it's not sending around a memo to the company leaders to be funny this week, right? Right. You know, I actually did did a presentation once in Chicago to the top leadership. And they were like, oh, my gosh, this is awesome. This is so cool. We want to bring you in in six weeks. You're going to talk to everybody from middle management down to maintenance. And over three days, I covered everybody in the company. And the thing that shocked me was that on multiple evaluations, they said, oh, my goodness, this was so wonderful. I wish my boss could have heard it. And, you know, the bosses were the ones that brought me in. However, they were not walking the talk and they weren't being authentic. And, you know, that is part of high performance humor. It is walking the talk and it is being authentic and it is not just telling someone, but to, to demonstrate it and show that you know how to use it as well. That's wonderful. I'm sure you do that obviously in your, when you go into companies and you help them, you run leadership workshops and help companies do that and practice. That's pretty much a lot is around practicing before it comes comfortable, before it comes a habit and you get out of your own skin or whatever your own barriers to your own self-awareness or um, self-concern about, am I funny? It can be a habit, you know, and that is that, that again, goes back to those two uh, key points of, of being intentional and being consistent because when humor happens by chance, that is wonderful. And who doesn't love that? But you can also use humor by choice. And there, again, doesn't have to mean that you're going to try to be funny, but there are different things that you can leverage in your environment and different things that you can leverage in the workplace and in your personal space and in your, in your mind space to make sure that this is something that you're experiencing on a regular basis. And, and then it it trickles. It's contagious. What a wonderful thing to be contagious at this point. This is one of the few things we don't need a vaccine for. You don't need a mask. You don't need to socially distance. You know, it's like we want this. Catching. We want this contagion, especially if you're doing that, yeah. as you talked about earlier, in the context of stories. And I think most people, once they understand that, even if their life seemed very normal, there are these little cameos that they can take and create wonderful little stories um, of humor. Yeah, I encourage people to jot those down because so often um, they just, that you can't think of them in the moment. And, you know, but, but when you are with a friend or you're at a family dinner or a holiday dinner, you know, and you're telling those stories that you tell time and time again about the time that, you know, my, it's like family history. We have to tell every Christmas about the time that my grandmother ranted and ranted about the that horrible butcher who stole her giblets you know that she wanted for her giblet gravy and she just all we heard all day long was about this 
stupid butcher. And then, you know, come dinner time when my grandfather carved into the turkey, oh, look, lo and behold, what popped out? The giblets, you know? And it was like, some people are going to go, that's not very funny. To my family, that was the funniest thing of the year. You know, we just thought it was hysterical. And so it's that inside humor, those kinds of things that don't have to be funny to anybody else, Mm. but to you and the person that you're sharing it with. Yeah, that's beautiful. So, so, so tell me a little bit about the book because it's got a, on the one hand, a funny title, and on the other hand, you know, a very serious title. Obviously, it's a business book about making money. Funny means money, um, influence, and even world domination. So, tell me what's you know. You know, be, well, funny does mean money. However, the, the the caveat here is it doesn't mean that you have to be the funny one. You know, but it is that superpower that people just gravitate toward. People love laughing. We're hardwired to laugh. Babies who are born deaf and blind still laugh. We are hardwired for humor. And as we become older, I think we, we, are socialized and educated and we're told, you know, wipe the smile off your face and don't laugh in class. And don't, you know, people are told that their laugh sounds weird or stupid. And I mean, by the time they get to be uh, high school, they're now their laughs and their, and creativity, by the way, and sense of joy is so diminished. And so to be able to bring that back into the workplace, again, knowing that people will do business with someone they know, like, and trust. People would rather do business, all things being equal, with somebody who has a sense of humor, people who are looking for a leader or a lover, one of the top three traits they're looking for, sense of humor. And so for so many reasons in the workplace, this is such a key component And the very cool thing is you can't really experience it in the workplace without it bleeding into all of the other parts of your life. It's very holistic. That's lovely. I mean, it's certainly a a gift that that keeps on giving for sure. Yes. So we've shared Karen a lot of tips with our, our listeners today. If you had to pull it back, strip it down to just three things you'd want to leave them with of how they could use this superpower of humor, what would those tips be? I think that the very first one would be to to reframe and to 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 accept the fact that there is humor to not say to yourself, there's nothing funny. You know, the question would be, what am I missing, I think, and to start rewiring your brain to be looking for the humor around you. It's that it's the manipulation of your mindset is the very first thing, manipulating your mindset. Um, The second thing I think would be manipulating your environment. I call it stacking the deck because again, the brain is lazy. So how do you increase the likelihood? You surround yourself with things within reach you know, it's like if somebody wants to to increase the number of times they go to the gym and work out, then when they go to bed, they should set their gym shoes and their track shorts next to the bed so they don't have to think about it. Same thing with humor. Um, what have you got on your phone? What kind of apps? What kind of, you know, David Sedaris audios? What kinds of 
um, different kinds of things in your environment. We keep funny things around us all the time that just amuse us or our cues that we want to tap in. Um, funny people, part of your environment. Um, and I have uh, within that environment, one particular friend, we are accountability partners. And every single day, we send the other person something funny. And here's the interesting thing. When I, every morning, start my day, and I think rituals are an important thing. So part of my ritual in manipulating my mindset and manipulating my environment starts first thing in the morning by searching for something to send to her. And I'm now reframing my day because instead of starting my day with looking to see, you know, how many more people were shot over the weekend. It's, you know, what's something that I know will amuse her and move her toward that state of joy. And in so doing, I'm not just, I, I thought at first it was like, oh, I'm giving her a great little gift. And that is, it's a nice dopamine hit. And that also makes you feel joyful. But what I realized was I was getting as much or more because I was reframing my day. And so manipulating your mindset, manipulating your environment and becoming a student of humor to realize that there is so much more to learn about this. You and I have scratched the surface and one of these days I'll be back by popular demand and we're gonna go even deeper. But, but to recognize that, that the being intentional and studying this and, and implementing this is really going to help take them on that journey to experience the joy that they are really seeking and wanting to experience in their lives. It can be done. Those are three wonderful tips, Karen. I suppose, you know, when you think about that last one, when you think about being a student of joy and you think about the digital world, you know, there's a billion posts every day, a billion YouTube videos or TikTok or whatever channel people are looking at, you know, I presume it's very personal on the one level that people mm -hmm. need to find their own humor in a way yeah. that makes them laugh and not just because yeah. it's got a billion hits doesn't mean you're going to find it funny. Um, but how do you give people advice on how to sort of navigate this sort of crazy world in which we're living? So I, I'm not sure if I understand your question. So to navigate it like... Well, the crazy, to yeah, able... to find. So, you know, if I sort of wanted to go and find something for my friend in the morning, you know, yeah. where do I start? Where do I? You know, I, I, some of that depends on um, what is your style of humor? What is that other person's mm -hmm. style of humor? Because that also shows that you know and understand them. So for instance, um, one of the people that I share humor with every day and um, their background is, is music and math, which is kind of interesting. It seems like those are two different kinds of things, but because of technology, it's a wonderful thing. You know, once you start looking for those kinds of things, the internet says, oh, I'll show you more of that. And so when I go to social media, it's like I go to Pinterest, I, you know, and I'm looking up memes and it's like, oh, you liked this. So here's more of that. And so, you know, I'm, I'm constantly for me because it's quick and easy. I'm uh, frequently going to memes and I'm just as I'm scrolling through very quickly, it's like, oh, Heidi's going to love this. Oh, Rex is going to love that. Oh, Greg is going to love this. And um, 
And sometimes it's just like, I'll find things ahead of time that just amuse me because we tend to be aligned with people who are like us. And I'm, I'm a digital hoarder, (laughs) especially when it comes to humor. And I'm just like, oh, save, 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 save. And every morning it's like, oh, which one of these little pretties am I going to share with somebody? Um, I, I love short little videos that are less than two minutes. And again, YouTube, you start looking at, I, I type in babies laughing because I'm telling you what, if you're feeling sad, that is the best shortcut you can go to. Uh, because of our mirror neurons, you, unless you are, are just really in, in a state of despair and don't wish to make yourself feel better, because there is some, you know, there, you know, there has to be some desire on your part, but if you desire to feel better and you're, you're looking at laughing babies, you can't not just at least feel a little bit better. And because you did that, YouTube's not going to say, Oh, you like laughing babies. We're going to show you that's like, it's just, yeah. So go down some rabbit holes is basically what you're saying. Right? Go down some rabbit holes, go down some rabbit holes. And, you know, just one quick aside of this is that our brains are very much like the internet. Hmm. When you pay attention to something, your reticular activating system is going to say, Oh, you paid attention to that. I'll show you more of that. You were looking for humor. You were looking for joy. I will show you more of that. And that's why we want to be intentional and consistent because as we rewire our brains, it's not that it isn't there. We're, it, it, we just don't have the right glasses on. We don't have the right lenses on. But when we put that lens on, all of a sudden we're going to go, oh my gosh, I didn't even see that. I can't believe I missed it. And then I it pops up everywhere, that. right? Once you start, you know, when we did on everywhere. the joy thing, right? It's like never saw it before. Now it's like everywhere. And it's, you're, you're just reframing, just rewiring that brain and your brain, and best, you know, it looks for you and it finds, hey, exactly. Andrew's interest in that kind of this. So do that and think about, you know, what your friends, what they like and go down some rabbit holes for them. And I love that yes. idea of starting the morning, not with the, not with the top 10 doom scrolling stories. Um, you know, they're, they're going to be there at 11 o'clock in the morning as well. So if you need to look yeah. at those, just to keep track do that maybe at 11 o'clock and not at seven o'clock first thing you open your eyes is you know I threw I actually have a landing page where I have put like a number of short little videos because I don't mind watching them again they just they crack me up you know whether it's babies laughing or it's a little girl who's just got her Aretha Franklin moves on or whatever Mm. Um, and so I put those on a on a page it's called stress recovery toolkit and you know, if people go to that page, I've already started the process for them. It's just, it's free. They can just go there and, and look and watch what they want and then start their own path to discovery so that they can find the kinds of things that amuse them. Because what I find funny may not, may not make you laugh, but, but it'll give you a, a sense and an idea of where to get started. That is a wonderful resource. Thank you for giving that to the world. And we'll definitely post that in the notes so people can easily find and click on that resource what would you say Karen I know humor obviously brings you joy what else brings you joy I have been very purposeful about surrounding myself with people who make me laugh who bring me joy and I think that the thing that really brings me the most joy is experiencing that shared laughter Mm. Whether it's with my husband, whether it's with my best friend, whether it's with my son, whether it's with that grandchild, 
My mother, when she had Alzheimer's, was at a point where she could no longer talk. She didn't have facial expressions. She just, you know, wasn't functioning much on her own. And then one day out of the blue, it was just like this most surreal moment. She said, make me laugh. And I just, uh, without even thinking, I immediately went to this story that she and I historically shared whenever we went to dinner after a shopping trip. And Andrew, I wish you could have been there because for that, for that brief moment, first her eyes began to like get that shine that you get mm. when they glisten. And then the corners of her mouth began to go up and she'd been expressionless for months. And then the sound comes up out of her chest and she just erupts in this laughter. And over that minute, minute and a half, we connected again. It was the most joyful moment I think I've ever had. And then it passed. But in that moment, in that moment of shared laughter with a loved one, that's that's the greatest joy I think I can have. Wow, that's such a beautiful story. Thank you, Karen, for sharing that. And unfortunately, that's all we've got time for today. But it's been not only a pleasure, but it's immense fun talking with you today. And thank you so much for sharing not only your your humor and your joy um, but also the inspiration to help people find more humor and more joy in their own lives so I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to such me. a pleasure such an honor such an honor thank you for this opportunity well you're welcome we know if people want to find Karen Buxman um, they can do that very easily just by typing it into Google or, or any other place and you will no doubt come across Karen, but we will put all her links in the in the show notes as well. And just to mention again, the stressrecoverytoolkit.com is definitely a place you should have a, a link to um, in your favorite bookmarks um, if you want to add some more humor to your life. So thank you listeners for, for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the show as much as I did. And We'd like you to obviously follow us, The Art and Science of Joy, on, on social media and come and join the conversation and really help spread the joy. And in this time, spread your own experiences of how humour has helped you bring more joy, not only to your own life, but also to the lives of others. So thank you, Karen, once again. It was such a pleasure. To so welcome. And thank you, listeners, and I hope you tune in next week for the next episode of the Art and Science of Joy podcast. Until then, stay well, stay joyful, and have a good laugh. <laughs>